Amen. Good to see you today. You happy to be in the Lord's house? Amen. Thank you, worship team, for a great, a great time of worship. And uh, I want to express my appreciation to Clark, who covers for me in my absence, uh, preaches. He never, uh, he never goes halfway, gives it all he has. So show some love for Clark for covering for me in my absence. I also want to express my appreciation to the team and, and leadership here at the church because when I'm out, they cover well and it never misses a beat. And I'm just so thankful for uh, who God has put together as a team here at the church at Sturkey Hills. And I'm thankful uh, for you. We had a great attendance last week. You all look great today. And I'm glad you're here. And I'm glad I'm here. All right? I am glad I get to be in the box today preaching the Word of God because it's what I love to do. It's what I've called to do. It's what I'm excited to do. And I hate to miss any Sunday. I don't miss. I was here last Sunday for the early service, uh, but I had to go home because I was at that point about four days post uh, uh, knee replacement. And so this knee uh, is replaced, and uh, so we're getting along good. And uh, we got David Morris, who's a friend of mine, member here. He had the same surgery, same day, same surgeon. He's doing well, but continue to pray for us. I want to thank you for those who prayed for us, because uh, uh, big prayer means big things happen. And God's doing; He's healing me well. It's going great. And uh, thank you for those of you that brought meals and uh, uh, other people who gave us things to help us. Uh, Tim Scoggins gave me a cane and some uh, some a water ice kit to keep the thing cooled down. I mean, just uh, y'all poured out the love, and I appreciate it uh, immensely. And so, uh, but, but I'm glad that I'm here today. I want you to know, if I say something goofy today, it's not because I'm on dope. I'm just dopey, okay? I'm off of dope. I cannot handle dope. I don't know why people are addicted to dope. And so, but they call it dope because when you own it, you a dope. And let me give you one example. So about three or four days into post-surgery, they had me on hydro somethings, and, and my head was swimming. I mean, I'm just all messed up. And, and so Kendra, before the surgery, she, you know, she loves me. She takes care of me. She picked me up some sweatpants. That's when I grew up, you called them sweatpants. Now the sexy term is, is jogger. Jogger. That's a unisex sweatpant, okay? It's, a, it's leggings for dudes is what it is. So she got, me some, she got me some joggers. And so I'm sitting on a little bench in our closet. I'm going to put these joggers on. I'm about four days post-surgery, and I'm on this dope. And it took me about 15 minutes to communicate to this foot extended to this new knee to go in the right leg hole of those joggers. And so I finally got the foot in the leg hole, man. I pulled it up, got the other foot navigated in the, right, in the left leg hole. And I'm walking in there. I'm pulling them up, and I'm thinking, man, those covered dishes that the church you're bringing, they're doing some work on me. Because these things are tight. I mean, they snug. They snug. And I'm standing in front of the mirror thinking, what have I done? I was like the nutty professor. I went, I went in there. I said, I ain't wearing these. I went to pull those joggers off and got them about halfway down. I looked at the tag. It says, women's medium. They were Kendra's. <laughs> so just so you'll know about you, Pastor, I'm one and done. You don't have to worry about me wearing her clothes, all right? Once was enough. I will not do that again. And, and so it's been a journey. It's been a good journey. God's been good to us, and uh, it's exciting uh, to, to, to be back. Now, I'm going to invite you to do something today, starting right now, is to lean in. I want you to lean in. I, I'm going to lean in. I'm going to lean on this table. My leg starts calling my name. I'm going to lean on that chair. We're going to lean in today because the message today is incredibly important to all of us. Every single person. It's a, it's, a, it's a message that we all need to process our Christian journey through the lens of this passage. Because it's incredibly important to everybody. Today's message is a message that, that every person should at some point ask a question about. It, it's a message that, that all of us have to be reminded that there are decisions we make every day. You make decisions every day. I made a decision to put on Kendra's pants. Not a good one, but I made it, okay? We, we make decisions. Most of them are pretty good decisions. But there's one <clears throat> decision that, that, that rises above all other decisions we make in our life. And it's the decision of what we truly do with Jesus, okay? This is, a, this is a decision that really, really matters. It carries a weighted value that reaches into all of eternity personally for you and for me. And so it's something that we've got to do, make this decision well. We've got to make this decision right. We've got to, be, we've got to know we made the right decision with 100% certainty. And so we're going to look today at an individual who may or may not have done that. And we're going to look at some of the characteristics of his life that looks much like our life. And at the end, we get to evaluate this simple question, what have we truly done with Jesus in our life? Now, you and I today uh, are... Uh, in this building together, um, and, and we have a lot of information 
that we can use, a lot of information that helps us um, make great decisions regarding Jesus. We have the Old Testament as an example. We have 39 books of the Old Testament. The, the, the 39 books of the Old Testament do an amazing thing. They introduce God to man. They introduce man to man. They let us know that God is perfect, and we certainly are not. They, it points to the depravity of who we are, the fact that we cannot please God on our own. We cannot live a holy, perfect life. We cannot be sinless. We are messed up. And it makes it very, very clear. It gives us ten commandments, not to point to commandments that we need to obey so we know that we're good. He gives us ten commandments to point to the fact that we can't even get one of them right, that we're really, really messed up. But the beauty of the first 39 books, it doesn't leave us distant from God, this perfect God who created us in his image, and we've messed it all up. we failed miserably. He, he doesn't leave us in that. He introduces an idea of a, redemption, a redemptive plan. God says, you know what, I've got a plan. I'm going to send a part of myself, my son, Jesus, <clears throat> the Savior of the world. I'm going to send him to earth to save you, to forgive your sin, to pay your sin debt. And so the 39 books of the Old Testament tell us that. God is perfect. We are not. Jesus came to rescue us. And then we keep turning the pages. We get to the New Testament. In the New Testament, we, we find the Gospels. The Gospels are simply four very similar common books that talk about the life, the witness, the promises uh, of Jesus Christ. That, that's what the Gospels are. And it's unusual that God selected strange and different individuals to write those books. When you read it, you read Matthew, who is an educated Jew, who worked as a tax collector for Rome. Unlikely candidate, he writes the first one. The second one, Mark. Mark is a religious man who followed Jesus and ultimately became a missionary evangelist alongside Paul and Peter. And then we get to the third one, Luke. Luke was an educated physician, a doctor, who would ultimately write the book of Acts, which we are studying. And then we find John. John is an overzealous fisherman, uneducated, but a great work ethic, and excited about whatever opportunity he has in life. He would write the Gospel of John. He would write 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. He would be called the beloved disciple of Jesus. He would write the book of the Revelation and see all of future uh, unfold before his eyes. And so we have these Gospels. And, and so in those Gospels, Jesus made some profound claims about himself and, and promises about what he was going to do moving forward. Uh, Jesus said things like, I came to fulfill all of the 39 books of the Old Testament, and he did. Jesus said he came to offer forgiveness for the sins of mankind, and he did. Jesus said he and God, the Father, are one, and he was, and he is. Jesus said he would be killed, and he was. Jesus said he would rise from the dead, and he did. Jesus said he was going to prepare a place uh, called heaven for us, and he is doing that now. Uh, Jesus said he would come to earth again. And he will. Jesus divided our calendar from B.C. before Christ to A.D. at Domini, And he did. Jesus changed, changed everything. Jesus lived 33 years on this earth. Only three years in public ministry. And in those three years of public ministry, he absolutely, absolutely radically changed the world. Jesus went on and he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build a church I'm going to build a bride of people for myself from around the globe. I'm going to take this message, the saving message of myself. It's, it's going to have global expansion. And he did. And Jesus said, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to empower people, the church, to empower. Do I need to use this other mic? I'm going to do it. Because I'm the pastor. I just... All right, so. So Jesus made all of these promises, and he fulfilled them. Now, you and I are products of that today. 2,000 years later, you are here at some level because you believe what I just said. You believe about the Old Testament. You believe about Jesus being a real human being who was God who walked on the earth. You believe that he fulfilled those promises. You believe that he's in heaven right now preparing a place for Christians. You believe he's going to come again one day. You and I and billions, literally billions just like us, are gathered or will gather today somewhere in, around this globe and celebrate and worship the reality of Jesus Christ. It's incredible what Jesus did in three years of public ministry. But at the same time, out of the billions of people who will gather today in churches just like this around the world to celebrate Jesus, there are those in the midst who are not authentic. They're, they're not true Christians. 
And, and today we're going to introduce, be introduced to an individual who looks and appears to be a real Christian, but at the end of the day, he's what I will call the great pretender. And, and, and today's message is about getting to a place where we really know for certain that we're going to heaven when we die. It's to know for certain that Jesus Christ is not only the Savior of the world, which is out there, he's the Savior of this world, which is me. He's not just the, the king of glory. He's the Lord of my life. He's conquered my sin. He's conquered my death. He's conquered my grave. And now every day I yield my life to him. That's what Christianity is supposed to be. And so today we get to, to figure out whether or not we're in or whether we are what we're calling the great pretender. Acts chapter 8, because we're in the book of Acts, Can I Get a, get a, can I get a Witness is the series title, and we've been looking at the book of Acts, and we're going to be introduced today to um, another pretender. He's not the first pretender. When you read the scripture, this is beautiful about God. He tells us the good, the bad, and the ugly. He doesn't hide it and say, oh, it's a perfect world. He says, we live in a world of confusion. And there are people who pretend to be one thing or another throughout life, throughout your life and throughout biblical history. We had, uh, when you read the, the Gospels, you read about Judas Iscariot. Man, he walked with Jesus, ate with Jesus, listened to Jesus preach, uh, hung out with Jesus. But at the end of the day, he betrayed him for some silver. He was a pretender. You read in Acts shortly thereafter. The early church has been, man, it's just exploding with growth. God is multiplying it. Uh, sometimes he's adding, sometimes he's subtracting. Uh, he's doing a thing in the church, and then you, we're introduced to these two people, Ananias and Sapphira. Obviously, uh, new, quote, members to the church. They've come to the community of Christ, and, and, and they want to give a gift, but they lied to the Holy Spirit, and God killed them. And so we, we run into these pretenders. But today's pretenders gives us some more details, details that are a little eerie, Details that are a little bit hard because they're details that often look like our life. But at the end, those details are not what make the, the, the ultimate determination of whether or not we're a pretender or an authentic Christian. And we live in a world, you know, of fakes and phonies and artificials. I just thought of a few. We got counterfeit diamonds and counterfeit watches and counterfeit sunglasses and counterfeit clothing and, and fake checks and fake money and fake shoes. I mean, we live in a world where we're pretty good at faking things. We buy fake things. Sometimes we wear fake things. Sometimes we act like fake people. And, and that's just a reality. And it's not new. This thing has been around, listen to me, since before mankind even got here. You see, Lucifer himself was a fake. He was an angel who decided he wanted to be in charge of the world. And so he led a third of the angels in a rebellion, a coup, if you will, against heaven. God would ultimately banish him from heaven. And so ever since then, he lives in the, the world of the lie. Scripture said he's the great deceiver. He says, the scripture says he's the father of lies. Scripture says when he speaks, he speaks lies. He cannot speak the truth. And so we have to get to a place where we listen to the truth, we apply the truth, we live by the truth, we know the truth, and at the end of the day, listen to me, we will be in the presence of the truth. But it's important that we get this right. And so we're talking about counterfeit Christianity. We're talking about the great pretender. So let's take a look at the, one of the great pretenders. Because Sometimes we can look real Christian-y on the outside and be real broken on the inside. And you know the old expre expression, beauty is skin deep, but ugly goes to the bone. And that's the way it is with Christianity. Christianity that's only on the surface, uh, doesn't, that doesn't affect the core of who we are, it gets real ugly real fast after we penetrate the surface and the presentation that we give to the world. So let's meet a great pretender, a potential Great pretender. In Acts chapter 8, number one on the back of your life guide, a common person. Listen to what it says about this particular person. It says, now in that city was a man named Simon. Not a lot of details right there. It's just a common person. The great pretender can be, look like the person right next to you. Look to your left. Now look to your right. Now look up here. It could be one of them. Okay? Now it's not me. Okay, I'm just telling you right now, I know it's not me. Okay? And I'm, I'm telling you that. I know it's not me, and I hope it's not you, all right? But it could be. It can be just any old person, any cut of the normal cloth human being. In this particular case, it just says it's in a, a city. It's Samaria, just a city. And he goes on, he says, it's a man, just a 
just an, an, an everyday man, an average person, a human being, and it says his name is Simon. He has just a very common name. Nothing specifically um, uh, uh, alarming about this person. Nothing would draw attention and say, I don't know if that person's real. I, I, I think that person may not be authentic. I think that person may be a fake, okay? Nothing about this person, just a common person. Number two, I want you to see that they have a charming profession. It says this person who had been practicing magic and in amazing and amazing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. He is a practicer of magic and sorcery, of divination, okay? And now, this, is, this begins to be a little bit alarming. We learn something about him. And this guy, right now, he obviously is not a Christian. I mean, he doesn't know Jesus. I mean, he's practicing witchcraft. He's Mr. Magico. He's the illusionist that comes to town. He's the guy, you know, with a card trick and a rabbit and a hat. And, and, and he's, he's charming the people. People are impressed. He has a following. In fact, it says he was amazing the people and claiming to be someone great. You see, the fact that he had something that nobody else had, he did something that nobody else could do. He was a, an illusionist, a, a magician. People were following him. They were impressed with him. He was pursuing the things that we often pursue. And that is to, 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 to gather a following, to impress the people around us. To say, hey, look at me, what I've achieved. Look at me, what I have accomplished. And he wasn't looking for Jesus. He certainly wasn't looking for God to fill this void in his soul. You know why? Because Simon was filling that void just fine all by himself. You see, Simon didn't need to look to God, to something greater. Because he could look in the mirror and see all the God that he wanted to see. Number three, I want you to see that the potential great pretender carries a counterfeit power, a counterfeit power. It says in verse 10, all the people from the least to the greatest paid close attention to him, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid close attention to him because he had amazed them for a long period of time. Magic, illusion, uh, impressive talk. I mean, he had the answers. He, he, he was alluring to people. He was winsome. He, he carried this synthetic counterfeit power, something that other people didn't have. You see, Samaria was considered a lost culture. They were spiritually um, debased. They were spiritually compromised. And so they weren't necessarily looking for God. So any old God will do. And if you carry in, in your bag a God that looks like card tricks and rabbits and hats, that one will do because it points to something greater than we have currently. So they were, they were amazed by him. So much so that it says this man, that, that, that they said about Simon, this man is the power of God that is called great. They didn't know God, but it must look something like what Simon carries around with him. And so we learn that he is impressive. And we learn that although he seems innocent, he is not so innocent. We learn that, that he, is, he no longer needs to search for God because he's found everything he's looking for in his black magical practices. Now, Simon represents every human being that's ever found anything to temporarily fill the void in their soul, okay? Simon is the person the everyday person who has found something in this world to satisfy their longing. Doesn't matter what it is. It could be relationship. It could be uh, wealth. It could be success. It could be academic. It, it could be athletic. It could be anything that makes us feel better about ourselves on the inside other than God. And Simon represents the opportunities that the, that the enemy places before us every day, opportunities to find our worth, our value, our purpose other than God. You see, there's a lot of people who struggle. They say, well, I feel like I am this or I think I am this when we allow something other than God to define us. You see, our backgrounds don't define us. Neither does our future if you're a Christian. Our failures don't define us. Our successes don't define us. As a Christian, God defines us. And, and so we have to get to this place. Now, now, success, status, self-satisfaction, this is all that Simon needed. But then number four, something happens. Number four is a confrontation with a preacher. 
Every person in every life has a confrontation or an encounter with God. But every person in every life, it's not always the same. For me, I was a less than a 10-year-old boy. And my parents, they took me to church all the time. I mean, they knew me. They knew that kid needs some Jesus. The only thing going to fix that piece of mess right there is Jesus. And so they took me to church all the time. They wanted to, be, well, they wanted to put me in a place where I was going to hear about Jesus all the time. And let me tell you, parents, I applaud you, man. We've been having like 180, 200 kids back there in the back wing where nine years ago there were none virtually, almost none, and a couple hundred. So I applaud you parents who are faithful in placing your children in a place where they're going to be invested in and they're going to hear the truth amidst all the lies that this world is throwing at them. I'm telling you, there's power in that. And I applaud you for that. And God praises you for being the parents that he's called you to be for that. And so Simon's no different. He had to have an encounter. And so in this particular case, he had a confrontation with a preacher. Listen to what it says in verse 12. Now, we've seen a description of Simon thus far, the sorcerer. And, and, and there's a transitional conjunction in verse 12, the first word, but, okay? It means winds of change are blowing. It means some, it's going to move in a different direction now. It says, but when they believed Philip as he was proclaiming the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they began to be baptized, both men and women. It says, now, in the middle of Mr. Magico and his tricks, all the, the stuff he was able to do, everybody's eyes turned away from Simon, and now they're turning to Philip. And they're, now they're not listening to Simon's illusional ideas. They're listening to Philip. And Philip's not talking about himself. Uh, Philip didn't show up to run for office. Uh, Philip didn't show up to impress people with who he was. Philip didn't show up to build a crowd. Philip showed up to help people meet Jesus so they could live forever. And that's the difference. And, and so now all of a sudden the, the change, the winds of change have blown. And he has this confrontation. I want you to know today that every single person on the planet who's ever lived or ever will live has a confrontation with maybe not a preacher, but with a proclamation of the greatness of God. We're, I'm, I'm excited about the opportunity that we may have to plant a church on the perimeter of a, of a preserve along the Amazon River. Tens of thousands of acres with people in there that nobody has ever spoken to because it's, it's illegal to go in there. And if you go in there, you don't come out. They, in some cases, they eat you. I mean, it is, it's that kind of people. And, and we have the opportunity maybe to, uh, to plant a church along the perimeter and start ministering to them and getting the gospel in there. It's really cool, really exciting. You'll learn more about that as it, as it opens up. But, but I want you to know today, those people inside of that area, they've had an aware, they have an awareness of God. They have an awareness of God. Every single person has a general revelation of God. There's nobody, no atheist, no agnostic, no, 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 nobody has ever lived their life without some moment in time having an awareness that there is a God. Whether it's to go out and look at the stars and say, and scratch your head and say, out of all of those rocks flying around in the world, uh, in the galaxy, I'm standing on this one, breathing air, having a conversation, having emotions like love and hate, and and, and, and watching a child be born or a puppy be born or whatever, watching flowers bloom in the spring and leaves change in the fall and snowfall in the winter, this is not a product of evolution. There's no, you, can, you, can, you can choose to embrace evolution, but you can't fully believe it to be true because it makes no sense. There's not enough information or enough time for it to happen. There has to be something out there that made this all happen. You know, Okay, it was a big explosion, the Big Bang. Okay, God said bang, and it all happened. Whatever you want to do with it. But, but there's, everybody gets to a place where they're aware that there's a God. How do I know that? Because God has told us that. You see, there's a moment in time for everybody where we get an awareness that we're not the only ones here, that there's something greater. And so Romans chapter 1, verse 19 simply says this, because what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has made it plain to them. What a cool verse. Everything, God has revealed himself. He's made it very plain. Why? Because he made it plain. It goes on in verse 20. It says, for since the creation of the world, which I'm a young earth guy. I believe about 6,000 years. You may believe 70 billion. You may believe in a gap theory for creation. That's okay. It doesn't bother me. But I believe in a young earth. But ever since, whenever it was, ever since God created everything, the world 
his invisible attributes, the invisible attributes of God and his eternal power and his divine nature, okay? So his godness, okay, his character, his nature. It says it has been clearly seen. This is God speaking, inspired by the Holy, uh, the Holy Spirit speaking, uh, uh, inspiring these words. It says it has been clearly seen, and then he says this, because they are understood through what has been made. In other words, God has given a general revelation to everybody that he is real, he's out there, and that he created things, and he's bigger than we are. Okay, that's where it begins. And with only that general revelation, listen to the response. It says, so people are without excuse. You know, there's people that say, well, you know, ignorance is bliss. I'm going to stand before God and say, I just didn't know. Yeah, you did. Romans 1 says you did, and you are without excuse. We are without excuse. And, and so... And so for many people, maybe all they ever get is a general, a general revelation. Maybe they never get a preacher to come and tell them the gospel. Maybe they don't get that. But they have a general revelation, and they were without excuse simply because of that. But for Simon, it's different. This is next-level stuff. I mean, you got Jesus walked on the earth just a few weeks ago, okay? And you have the apostles, the firsthand disciples, the ones who walked with him and touched him and ate with him and saw him die and saw him live again and saw him ascend to heaven. You got those guys, that's, that's, that's tier one. But then you got Philip. He's the second evangelist, the second preacher to go out. Stephen, who was killed, now Philip. I mean, this is, this is direct line stuff. He's getting information up close and personal to Jesus. And so all eyes now have turned from Simon and they've turned to Philip. And Philip's goal, as I mentioned, was very simple. He wanted people to know Jesus and live forever. Now, Philip comes into the world of Simon and to all of the Samaritans, like I do every week, with this one point. You got a choice to make. Everybody has a choice to make. They don't just have a choice to make. Everyone has a choice they must make. Okay, In other words, people think sometimes, well, if I don't choose, we go to heaven one day. If we stand before Judge Jesus and he says, you know, why didn't you receive me? Well, I just never made that decision. So I didn't reject you. I just didn't actually receive you. To make no decision is to make a decision. To make no decision to follow Jesus Christ is to make a decision to reject Jesus Christ. It's that, it's that simple. And so in Joshua, sometimes people today, they embrace a doctrine or a theological persuasion that suggests that God saves people regardless of their choice. In other words, God chooses sovereignly some people to go to heaven and sovereignly he chooses others to go to hell. In other words, in this room, God could look in this room and he certainly could. He's God. He can do whatever he wants to. But people believe, preachers believe this, even in our area, it says God would look in this group potentially and say, I've chosen you and you and you and you to uh, be in my family forever. And Jesus died on a cross for the ones that I've elected, the ones that I just now selected and predetermined. But for the rest of you, I just didn't pick you, okay? And I didn't pick the others because they were better than you. I just picked them because I'm God and I'm allowed to pick. But for the rest of you, you didn't have a choice in the matter. I predetermined your eternal destiny and it's hell. Now, that sounds a little foreign. It's Calvinism. It's Reformed theology. It's prevalent. It's prominent even in our area. I don't believe that. Don't subscribe to that. Do I believe God is sovereign? 100% sovereign. But do I believe we have a choice in the matter? Absolutely, I do. And so throughout the Bible, there's opportunities that point to the reality that you and I have a choice that we must make. It doesn't matter where you go, the Old Testament or the New Testament. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, one of my favorite verses or passages in all the Bible. It says, if you have no desire to worship the Lord, this is Joshua. He's speaking now. He's the new leader. He took Moses' place, and he's leading the people. And they're just not, they don't know. They're just not committed as to whether or not they want to follow uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and now Joshua. And Joshua's cool with that. He says, listen, people, here's your deal. You get to choose. Listen to what he says. He says, if you have no desire to worship the Lord, then choose today who you're going to worship. He goes on. He says, whether it be the gods whom your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You've got to make a choice. And, it's, and, and, and you know, you all are here today. You made a choice to be here. 
Okay, and that's a good choice. I really believe, not because I'm here, but because God is here. Because this is his, his church. This is his family. This is our opportunity to corporately worship a common God whose name is Yahweh, whose son is Jesus Christ. And so we all have to make a choice. Now, Philip has now opened the door to salvation to the world. That's what he did. Philip's saying, listen, this is open for everybody. Everybody gets to make a choice. Everybody must make a choice. The, the beauty of the gospel being open to all people says this, no person is ever too good that they don't need the gospel. But the other half, the other end of the spectrum about the gospel, it says that no person is ever so bad that they can't have the gospel. You see, sometimes people think they're pretty good, a pretty good person. And that's fine, but you're not, okay? But the gospel's good for you. You're, not, you're, you're never so good that the gospel, that you don't need the gospel. But then there's these other people, which are, uh, well, there's more of these, that think, I'm, I, I just don't think God could love somebody like me. If he knows all that I've done, all that I've thought, all of, that I've willed to do maybe, then I don't think he could ever love me. There's no person so bad that the gospel uh, can't be applied. And sometimes people will make this comment, well, I, I really want to follow Jesus. I want to be a part of the church. I want to be a Christian, but my life is just a train wreck, and I need to kind of clean it up before I bring it to Jesus. That is a lie from the devil. You cannot clean up your life enough so that Jesus will love you any more than he already does. You bring your baggage. You bring your mess to Jesus Christ right where you are, right how you are, and let him handle it because he's the only one who can. He's the only one who died to make that right. Now, so... Why else do I believe that this is an opportunity for everybody? Not just for Simon, not just for the apostles, not just for the early, early church, not just for me, but for you. Because in Romans 10, 13, Scripture says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Everybody say everybody. That's, that's you, that's me, that's all of us. That's the people out there. Everybody, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Now, a Reformed theologian would say, well, the, the only reason they're going to call it, the Holy Spirit beckons them to call you know, and, and they have no choice but to call. Okay, you can, you can say that if you want to. I believe it means what it says and says what it means. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so, here's what we're learning. The great pretender, he can be a common person just like you. He can be, have a charming profession and be successful just like you. He could be holding on to some counterfeit power, something other than the true and living God, just like we could. He, he, he finds himself or herself in a place where they have a confrontation with a preacher or a proclamation of Jesus Christ. So what do we do with it? So what happens? So far, it sounds like me. This is, so far, it sounds like me. I mean, I wasn't a magician, but I was into divination because I was lost. When I was less than 10 years old, I sound like this guy. Okay, I'm trying to satisfy myself with myself I'm living for myself. I'm ungodly. I'm separated from God in my own little nine-and-a-half-year-old boy's sin, okay? I, I'm just living life as a little boy. But then one day I had a confrontation with a preacher. I'm sitting in a revival after uh, all week long and him preaching and me not listening and him sharing the gospel and me hearing it, the gospel every night. And on the final night, I had a confrontation. I had a moment in my life where I had a decision, a volitional choice, whether or not to receive Jesus. And I did. And so, so far, it sounds very similar, very common. But now listen to verse 13. I want you to notice a confident profession. This is where it gets a little eerie for a church attender. Verse 13, even Simon himself believed. Everybody say believed. What did I just what did I just read just a few minutes ago? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Sounds like he's doing it right. He's checking box number one, right? If you, just, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. That's what Romans 10, 9 says. And so, so he's checking a box. Looks good. It goes on in the same verse, and it says, and after he was baptized, everybody say baptized. Wow, I mean, he's killing it. He, he, I mean, he jumped in the deep end of the pool. He's, okay, I believe. What am I supposed to do next, bro? Are oh, you supposed to be baptized? Where's the water? Let's do it. All right, dip me deep. Get me all wet. I want it. He was baptized. And then he goes on and says, and he stayed close to Philip constantly. Everybody say faithful. 
He believes, he's baptized, he's faithful, he's following the preacher around, he's going to every church service, he's diving into what's going on in the life of this church. He's checking three good boxes for the Christian, belief, baptism, faithfulness, he's killing it. Let's go on. He says, and when he saw the signs and the great miracles that were occurring, he was amazed he was astonished at the handiwork of God. I mean, he's seeing it real. He's seeing it firsthand that God is real and God's on the move and he's doing th crazy things in the life of his church. S sounds pretty good. Right now, if I said, do you think this guy's a believer? We would say, yeah. You should say, yeah, because if you're a believer, it looks like this. Well, it's not necessarily the case. Even though all the boxes are checked, Maybe, just maybe, here's a person who changed his mind, but he never allowed Jesus to change his heart. Now, that's a broad leap from what I just read. To make that statement is a broad leap from what I just described. What if for a second, what I just described, although it looks like us, really paints the picture of the great pretender, someone who's artificial in their faith, someone who's a counterfeit Christian. Is it true? Well, we're going to keep reading. Number six on the back of your life guide, a confused proposition. Listen to what he does now. So he's, he believes, he's baptized, he's faithful, he's amazed at God. Listen at the next action on his list. Verse 18, now Simon when he saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, hey, give me this power too, so that everyone I place my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, let's pause right here. There's things that we do post-Christianity, post-salvation, okay, that are just dumb because we're babies. We're baby Christians. That's what the Bible describes us as. Um, some of us are very old babies, but we're babies. We're supposed to be saved, become an infant, be on spiritual milk, and gradually grow to the meat of God's word. We're supposed to become mature. And as we do, we become more like Christ, which is God's desire for all of us. Ultimately, we will all conform to the image of Jesus Christ. So here's a guy who, I mean, he came out of the, just a mess. I mean, he came out of black magic. He came out of card tricks and rabbits and hats. Okay, and now all of a sudden he's a Jesus follower, right? And what's his first item of business? Well, you'll remember <clears throat> that unlike it is today, the Holy Spirit in this particular case had not come to Samaria. The people were saved, but they hadn't received the Holy Spirit. Peter and John, the apostles, were sent down there to impart the Holy Spirit. Now, it's not that way today. Today, when you're saved, the Holy Spirit is deposited in your life. But then to authenticate the fact that God was moving the gospel out into the world, he sent the apostles to lay hands so they would receive the Holy Spirit. And so now uh, Simon, this quote convert, <clears throat> sees these apostles show up and he's like, I, I want that gig. I mean, I'm, I want to be that guy. I want to be the person that carries God around with them. And when he lays hands on people, then, then they get the Holy Spirit. I want to be that guy. So he goes up to the apostles. He says, bro, listen, I've got people like to follow me too. Uh, here's 50 bucks. If you'll make me an apostle and let me do that, I'm in. I mean, I don't know if it's 50 bucks, but he offered them money. He offered them some kind of money. Now, let's grace him. Let's just grace Simon real good because he's ignorant. He's uninformed. He's a new believer. Um, I'll give you an example. I got saved when I, before I was 10. I remember taking communion as a, probably a 10, 11, 12-year-old boy. And after I was finished, I remember sticking the communion cup on the end of my tongue and sticking it out of my brother's. Anybody ever do that? Should have been struck by lightning. Get into middle school, I was saved. I didn't make any bones about it. I told people about Jesus. I didn't know any of the Bible, even though I'd been exposed to it my whole life. They called me Brother Do in middle school. That's what they call me, okay? I would make up Bible stories because I didn't know the difference between Noah and Moses. Okay, Jesus had a little bit of an inkling of difference, okay? I would make up Bible stories. I could tell a story, go, a story so good, we'd go on field trips. I ain't making this up. I'm ashamed of it. I'd finish preaching a story. They'd love the story so much, they'd pass around a box or a hat and give me money. 
Should have been struck the lightning. God is good. God is gracious. Amen. Okay. Now, I'm telling you, I was saved. I was saved when I was nine. I was stupid when I was 10. Salvation doesn't make you especially intelligent. Okay. Salvation saves your soul, not your stupidity. Okay. And so we can make the argument here that Simon is just a new Christian. He's just dumb. And he just walks up to the, and you got to give him an attaboy for going for the bigs. I mean, you, if you're bold enough to walk up to an apostle and say, here's 50 bucks, I'd like to do what you do, okay? I mean, you got some gusto, right? And so is he a Christian or is he not? I believe right now, Simon, he had, tasted a little, had a little taste of the glory. People were following him because of his tricks and his, and his magic and his sorcery and his, and his incantations and his curses and all the things he did, and he wanted it back. He he wanted what Philip preached, but he didn't want to let go of yesterday. And that's the beginning of understanding about being a pretender. You see, a Christian has to let go of the baggage. You see, when Jesus saves you, he makes you a brand new creature. All old things are passed away. Behold, all things have been made new. And he doesn't want you dragging around your old self with the new self. You've been liberated from the old you. He's making you a new you. And so we're going to be gracious with him, and we're not going to judge him. We're going to let the apostles judge him. So let's see what the apostles say about this opportunity of money to receive apostleship and the ability to give the Holy Ghost to people. Verse 20 but Peter said to him, it starts out, listen to how he says it. He says, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could acquire God's gift with money. It's, it sounds very kind. sounds very gracious to a new believer. Your money will just perish with you. It's no good because he says that you thought this. So he sounds like he's being nice. Let's go to 21. He says, so let me tell you this now. You share no you have no share or part in this matter because your heart is not right before God. So he could be saying, listen, you're not an apostle and you never will be because you didn't walk with Jesus. You didn't see Jesus die. You, you didn't see him rise from the dead and you didn't touch him after he came back to life. You can never be an apostle and so you have no right to this. But then he goes on. Verse 22, he says, so Simon, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that he may perhaps forgive you for the intention of your heart. Verse 23, for I see you are bitterly envious and in bondage to sin. Now, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. He went from, he went from being kind and gracious to being full of rebuke. He said, listen, this is a big deal, Simon. If you're a Christian, I'm going to move past the fact that it's that I just you you believed. I'm going to move past the fact that you've been dipped in the water. I'm going to move past the fact that you attend services. You're faithful at some level. I'm going to move past the fact that you're amazed at God. I'm going to tell you right now, moving forward, this is what you have to do. You have to repent. The word is metanoeo. It means you're going to have to change, bro. It means you've got to change your mind. And, and, and to change your mind means to change your life in both principle and practice. It means there's no going back to the old. You can't be who you used to be. You are called to be someone new. It means you are going, repent means you are going to turn 100, 180 degrees. I tell this story sometimes. I was listening to a, a sports interview one time and they were talking to the coach. And he says, man, you had a great program this year. What do you attribute it to? He said, well, they were terrible last year. He says, I came in this year, and we just had to turn everything around 360 degrees. He said, if you turn around 360, you just made a circle. You're going in the same direction, okay? Okay. It ain't, it's not 360 degrees. That'll just make you dizzy, okay? It's 180 degrees. Repent means to turn this from that way to this way. Your allegiance is no longer that. Your allegiance is this. Your practices are no longer that, 
they are this. The principles that guide you are no longer that, they're this. It means you turn to God. And if you are really turning to God, you cannot face two directions at the same time. Okay, you don't have eyes in the back of your head. You are either facing God and you're living right or you're looking at the world and you're, and you're living wrong. I don't think I've ever said it that way, and it's true. You're either facing God and living right or facing the world and living wrong. So he said, you've got to repent. And then here's what's interesting. He says, of the wickedness in your heart. That word, the Greek word implies malice, evil, depravity, which is the status of the soul before conversion. So it's almost like Peter is saying, if we were reading the Greek, you're not really a Christian, but you're at the crossroads. You're at the place where you're, you, it, the lights are on. You, you've been invited. The Holy Spirit is like wooing you and drawing you in. But you're to the place now where it's do or die. You either get it or you don't. And then he said this, pray to the Lord. I, I just want you to know today, I, I thank you for the prayers. But big things happen because of big prayers. One of the biggest things that ever happens because of big prayers, when we pray <clears throat> to receive the finished work of Jesus in our life, when we accept the grace gift of Jesus into our life truly and let it radically transform us from the inside out, big things happen. And so he says, you've got to pray to the Lord. That's where it begins. So, is Simon a believer? Well, now we had to read the rest of that, I don't know. Because he sounded so Christian-y at first, right? He had all of his boxes checked, like we checked. You know we check those boxes. Do you believe? Check. Baptize? Check. Go to church? Check. Love when God does great things? Check. Right? We think that makes us a Christian. Listen to me. Listen to me. Checking boxes saves nobody. Anything I do, I believing, I believing in Jesus, mental assent, to all of the facts that I shared initially that the Old Testament pointed to Jesus, believing that with my mind, believing that Jesus literally walked on this earth for 33 years, three of it in public ministry, believing that with my mind, believing the promises that Jesus made are true and he, that he has and is continuing to fulfill those, to believe that with my mind, that does not save me. To, to, to have all of that knowledge in my head and to say well I think I need to be baptized because I believe that and to get in the water and to be dunked does not that being baptized doesn't save me coming to church then faithfully won't save me being amazed at how great God is it won't save me listen to me by the scripture tells us that we are saved by grace not of any of our works so that nobody could ever boast you know what that means? If you're saved, you're saved because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. His death on a cross, his burial in a tomb, and his resurrection on the third day. We are saved because of that being applied into the depth of our soul. That's the only way we can ever be saved. We can't do enough good things to be saved. We can only accept and receive and allow God to apply the greatness of the finished work of Jesus in our life. And that's good news because it means we don't have to work at it anymore. We don't have to try harder tomorrow. We just have to let Jesus be more Jesus in us each day. <clears throat> so, is he a believer? Number seven, I'm going to call him the Christian pretender. Verse 24, but Simon replied, now I wish for Simon and for us, I wish that this verse said, but Simon replied, thank you, Peter. And he went away and repented of his sins, prayed to the Lord to come into his life, and he was born again on that day. And Peter then laid hands on him as a believer, and he received the Holy Spirit. What a sweet passage that would be. What a good verse that would be. It doesn't land there. It says, but Simon replied, ah, you pray to the Lord for me so that nothing of what you have said may happen to me. 
You pray for me. Peter couldn't save Peter. John couldn't save John. Philip couldn't save Philip. Pastor Joel couldn't save Pastor Joel. You can't save you. And none of us can save somebody else. I would love to be able to pray people into heaven. I would love to stand here and say, God, I don't know the hearts of every individual in here, but if there's someone in here who is a pretender today, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit pushes through all that and radically saves them so that they will spend eternity in heaven with you and live an abundant life, full and free, forever, right now. I wish I could do that, and it would somehow apply salvation in your life. But it doesn't work that. It never has. It never has worked like that. Uh, Simon had to do it for himself. But Simon believed, man. It's said right in Scripture, so you know it's true. It said he believed. And you may be sitting here and you say, well, Pastor, I believe. It's not a, listen, it's not about mental assent. It's not about a head knowledge. It's not about agreeing to historical facts. It's not about believing in a real person named Jesus who came from heaven, who died and even rose from the dead. It's not just about believing. In fact, Jesus' half-brother, in James chapter 2, he says this, verse 19, you believe that God is one? That's well and good. But even the demons believe and they tremble with fear. Simple mental awareness of Jesus does not save any more than it saves the demons who believe. That's a scary thought, isn't it? I remember growing up after I got saved and in those stupid years, <clears throat> I still went to church and I still was trying. I would witness to people, invite people to church, but I played stupid just a whole lot. And I remember in those stupid seasons when I would go to church and maybe there would be an evangelist or maybe my pastor, and at the end he'd say, do you know that you know that you know that if you died tonight you'd go to heaven? I'm sitting there thinking, I don't even know my birthday that much, you know? So the answer would be a no, okay? No, I don't know. And I'm here to tell you today, you can know. You can know with certainty. When you get to a place where you don't just believe and do things and check boxes, when you get to the place where you realize God's out there and he created me with a purpose and a plan, and I've kind of distorted that plan and messed it all up, and he's still interested in me. So much so that he died on a cross 2,000 years ago before I ever, ever even got here so that one day I would have the opportunity not to simply believe that he did it, but to embrace it, to receive it, to let Jesus not enter my mind, but to step into my soul, but for Jesus to walk around in my body with me for Jesus to be intricately woven in the fiber of my being. And so today, if we want to be saved, it's no different than it was 2,000 years ago. We have the 39 books. We have the gospels and the promises. We have the stories all in the New Testament. But we have to come to a place where we lay ourselves down at the foot of the grace cross of Jesus and we surrender ourself unto him and he comes into us and we stand up and we walk away a new creature filled with the Holy Spirit different than we've ever been before. And I'm going to say a bold statement right here. If you profess Christianity today, and there's never been a radical change in your life, you may be a great pretender. Because when the king of the universe, the God of glory, steps from his throne in heaven and enters the life of a human being, that life will change. And it may not change like we're going to see next week in a few days like it did for Paul, but it's going to change. Your life must be different. And so, why is it important? 
It's important because we live in a world where preachers sometimes pacify and soften Christianity to a place where, as Al Mohler would say, a lot of people desire the gift without the giver and the power without the person. They want to check boxes. They want to go to heaven, but they don't want it to interfere with their life. Chuck Swindoll says that there's a lot of people who want a plan without the man. They want something superficial rather than supernatural. And the reason it's so important that you know that you're not pretending, the reason it's so important that I know that I'm not pretending is because Jesus said something incredible in Matthew 7. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of the Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we check a box and cast out demons in your name? Didn't we check another box and do many powerful deeds in your name? We checked all kinds of boxes. Then I will declare to them, depart from me. You, you evildoers, I never knew you. I don't want that. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for you. So why is this so important today? Because it, it came to a keen awareness of it this week. I was invited or asked to preach a graveside about nine days after a knee replacement. The idea of standing at the cemeteries in East Tennessee didn't thrill me. So I ended up at a cemetery that would have been a good goat ranch. Okay, beautiful cemetery on the side of a hill. And I told the family, I love the family, that's why I did it. And I, I, I told the Lord, Lord, just don't, don't let me fall in the hole. That hole's not for me, just keep me out of the hole. We'll count it a win. And so I preached the graveside. And I told the family after it was over, I said, this is normally where I walk around the casket and I hug your neck, but I don't want to fall over your chair or fall in the hole, so I'm going to let you come and hug me. Why was I there? You listen to me. I was preaching the graveside for a 31-year-old man who they found dead in his kitchen. 31 years old. I knew him. He was in my youth group years ago. And he died. And any time you preach a, a graveside, but especially a young person, it makes you consider the brevity of life, the beauty and the value of life, and the fact that one day, short of the Lord's return, there will be a hole dug or an urn prepared for all of our bodies. And there will be people who will gather and reminisce about a life that has been lived, and it will be over. And then eternity happens. And getting our decision right about Jesus Christ changes every part of that. You see, if you, if you get a text tomorrow that says, did you hear that Pastor Joel is dead? Don't you believe it for a second. I'll be more alive than I've ever been in my life if I die tonight. It changes everything. So I close with this. One day Jesus is going to come back, and I certainly hope he comes back soon and, and before I die. I, I, I mean, I'm okay if I die today. I know where I'm going. I just like the idea of all of us just shooting up through the sky. That just kind of gets me excited, man. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm on G waiting on O. I'm that kind of guy. But here's the thing, a lot of us walk around with artificial parts. Some of us have artificial teeth. Some of you are wearing a toupee. Some of us have artificial parts that come in pairs. Some of us have, I was talking about knees. <laughs> Left, right, two, pair. Y'all need to get your mind out of the gutter when they're closing time. Some of us have artificial knees. Some of us have, have an artificial hip. And one day Jesus is going to come back. And he's going to say, hey, church, let's go. 
when he says, hey, church, my name's on the list, see? And although today, if you look, you might see a little bit of swelling and a, and a, a, a bandage on my knee. You give this a few weeks or months, you won't, you won't know that I've got an artificial knee, just like you wouldn't have known I had an artificial hip. You'd have to follow me through the airport, you would know, or have an x-ray. Because these parts are so close to the real thing. It's incredible. When God designed the knee, he designed it really, really good. And so when they make a new one, they make it out of really cool metal and Teflon, but it looks just like the original because the original was a good design, okay? But it's artificial. And it, it's going to work like the original thing. It's going to participate with the other members of my leg to function well. It's going to serve me well. It's going to walk through life with the rest of the members of my body. And the world would never know. But when Jesus says, church, come on up, the pretender is not going to make the trip. God knows the difference. He looks into the core of our being and he says, that's not real. And I'm sorry, but you can't come up here because the only thing in heaven are things made with the hands of God. He made all of heaven. And when he saved me, he made me a new creature and I'm going to be with him. Nothing synthetic, no pretenders, nothing artificial in heaven. Now, I don't think I'm going to fly through the air and the lower leg's just going to be flapping in the wind. Okay. I, pray, I, I say all the time, I got a new body coming, a glorified body, a Jesus kind of body. And all the parts are going to be right. Okay. So my point is this. If Jesus did come for this body, the body of the church, and we're part of that today, would you go or would you be left here wondering why did I not become authentic and make things right while I had a chance? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe you're here today and like Simon the sorcerer, You've checked a lot of boxes. You've done good things and, and you believe the right things. But on this day, you just kind of wonder, am I pretending? And if you are, God knows. And if you are, listen, God still, he loves you right there. You don't have to pretend anymore. On this day, February 4th of 2024, he could make you brand new. He could give you a new birth spiritually. He could save you and you would be authentically in the family of God for all of eternity. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus in your life, or if you're here today and maybe you've done, checked some boxes and made, done some things in the past that made you think you were saved, but in this moment you really wonder, would you just be transparent and honest with me today and just simply raise your hand and say, that's me. I've never received Jesus. Or I wonder if I'm truly a Christian. Would you raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. If you're here today all you have to do is say God I believe not with my head I believe with my heart I am surrendering all of me to all of you I don't want you to just save me although I love that I want you to be the king of my life I want to I want you to control my ambition I want you to control my thought processes I want you to control my attitude toward others. I want you to control every part of my life from this day into eternity. I give myself to you. And for the rest of us, you got to feel really good knowing for certain that Jesus is the Savior of your life and you will spend eternity 
with him. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to worship because God is good, and Jesus is a good Savior. Father, we thank you so much for all that you've done in Jesus. We thank you, God, for everything we couldn't do, you did for us. God, we thank you that there's nothing left that needs to be done, no contribution on our part. It's the finished work of Jesus that we live under. It's the finished work of Jesus that we will spend eternity in heaven with you because of. We thank you for that. We give you praise. God, for those that are struggling or wondering or maybe wanting to be saved today, maybe they don't know what to do next, God. Maybe they they need help with their prayer. God, it's my prayer that you would convict their heart, that they wouldn't walk away unchanged and doing nothing. If nothing else, that they would write their name and their information on a connection card and turn it in, God, so that I could reach out to them and help them as they navigate from death into life. We give you praise. We give you glory. We love you. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. Let's stand. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.